Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. With the major storm damage in the city of Tulsa, many events have been postponed or canceled due to damage or lack of power. And one such event which we were going to feature today was the scheduled opening of two new gardens at the Tulsa Botanic Garden, the first major additions in nearly six years. While the gardens survived the storm mostly unscathed, power has been lost, and this weekend would have marked the opening of the Stanford Family Liberty Garden, which has an entry grove with Art Deco-inspired design featuring beds of perennial flower beds and evergreens with a civic lawn and flagpole terrace, and the Bumgarner Family Foundation Lotus Pool, an aquatic garden featuring lotus, water lily, other aquatic plants, hibiscus, and iris with fountains and a new deco bridge. My guest today is the president and CEO of the Tulsa Botanic Garden, Chuck Lampson. Lampson is a familiar person to longtime Tulsans. He was a former baseball player for the Tulsa Drillers, who, after his playing career, went into the management of the team. He went from a groundskeeper to assistant general manager, general manager, and then owner of the team. He now manages a growing botanic garden with a decades-long master plan, the next steps which will be coming to fruition with these new gardens. Since we spoke yesterday, there is now a new grand opening date for the two new gardens. It will take place July 21st through the 23rd. Chuck Lampson is my guest today on Studio Tulsa. Chuck Lampson, uh, welcome to Studio Tulsa. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. So tell us about these two gardens and why they were next to be completed in the larger master plan for the Botanic Center. Well, I think uh, it started really with my predecessor, Todd Lassine, and... and, uh, you know, there was uh, people that we had been cultivating for donors prior to my arrival. And obviously, if you look at the progression of the garden, started in 99, finally opened to the general public on weekends in 08. Even though it seems like a long time, the garden is a fairly young garden as far as botanic gardens go, as I understand the industry. Uh, so we had opened the floral terraces in 14 15, we opened the children's garden. 16, we opened our event center, the Grange. So obviously they're proceeding on what what was next. Um, They talked about this lotus pool in conjunction with an all-seasons garden. And then uh, another gentleman came to us with this idea of taking our peninsula and building a garden that would be kind of what it ended up being, a liberty-type garden with uh, red, white, and blue kind of uh, flora, fauna, and a flagpole. So we were able to design those two. Unfortunately, couldn't do the all-seasons garden, but we were able to pull everything together through the pandemic. Uh, things had slowed down, and as you know, Todd left. So when I came on board, these two items were really on the docket that needed to be accomplished because they had been languishing for a little while. So uh, with the help of the board and the donors and, and some new donors, we we're able to get, you know, everything pulled together. So we broke ground last March and um, we'll hopefully open things up <laughs> soon <laughs> as, as we record this. As you know, we're in the middle of a major power outage in Tulsa, including the Botanic Garden. So we're we're looking forward to getting the power back up and, and launching the, these very exciting gardens. In fact, uh, uh, prior to Sunday morning at midnight, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the ribbon cutting was to be this Friday. Yes. That's the, obviously not going to be the case. No, no. We uh, we still don't have power at the garden, and, and so 
Plus, uh, it's not just us. It's thinking about our vendors, people who put the tent up, the food service. You know, there's there's a lot of people scrambling right now. And so we just felt like it was in the best interest to make sure that uh, when we can do a, an appropriate grand opening, that we would delay it a little bit to make sure we hopefully did it right. So once you have the power restored, you'll have what we call the soft opening. Yeah, the soft. Yeah, exactly. We we uh, actually this week will be we have a generator. We're powering up the new gardens, checking the lighting, checking the pumps for the lotus pool, all those things, which we had planned to do. But you know now we'll have a little extra time to make sure. Everything looks good uh, because we do plan to do evening events, you know, during our Christmas lights and other times. Uh, so you want to make sure that your lighting looks good for evening time events. Yeah. Now let's talk about the, the two gardens in detail. The Liberty Garden, which wasn't on the original master plan. I guess this idea came about from a donor who said, I want to build a garden. And you've altered the plans to accomplish that. But what's really interesting is you've kept the motifs of the overall garden look, the Art Deco look. Right. Uh, there's a very lovely uh, Art Deco structure around the flagpole structure. And uh, I guess it's going to be mainly uh, annuals for the most part? Well, we have uh, obviously some bushes and some trees near the entry to kind of grandeur. We have 14-foot pieces of Hackett stone, which are massive, and then these big iron gates that are 700 pounds, so we won't be opening and closing them too many times. But no, I mean, it's a real majestic entrance. So people could actually rent the entire garden. So you walk in, there's a there's a 3,000 square foot lawn, perfect for small high school graduations, weddings, things of that nature, beds on both sides. Uh, the whole peninsula is surrounded by a Hackett stone wall. Two very nice pavilions that are good size to be able to host intimate cocktail parties, small gatherings, and all that. And then the plinth, as you mentioned, Art Deco, and that was a that was an important piece because we've run Art Deco through most of our gardens, and we hope to be able to continue to do that just because that is such an identifying characteristic of Tulsa too. And even though we are in Osage County and you know, it's important for our relationships there with the tribe and the county. Uh, we draw, draw the majority of our people from the Tulsa metro area. So then you go around the plinth, and the flagpole was right there. And then these massive steps that are great to go right down to the water's edge. Uh, so we'll be able to, you know, uh, maybe do some fishing tournaments for kids and, you know, fun things that uh, are activities that people not just to come to the garden and enjoy the serenity and the beauty of that, but also to participate in, in things. Um, we think getting kids outside in nature is pretty important. So, And it also sounds like from how you describe it, this becomes an income-producing portion of the garden. Well, because... we sure hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, but... And that's you know, very important. For, yeah. That's important for a lot of large nonprofit institutions that have... Yeah. you know, land and space. Right. And and uh, obviously, I think they go hand in hand. Um, uh, when the founders, the four founders who started Botanic Garden, uh, one of their impetus was that we were one of the largest communities in the country that didn't have a Botanic Garden. So uh, doing this, uh, you know, puts us on par with a lot of major cities. And, and there's there's some tremendous ones out there. You think about Atlanta, you think about Longwood Gardens, one of the oldest in the country, 
I grew up back east, so I'm familiar with it. But they're all different. They all have their uniqueness to them. Um, uh, you know, Naples is a good one. Uh, San Antonio, Fort Worth. I mean, just all over the country. So we felt like that this setting in Osage County with the hills of the Osage and then it comes down into this bowl with a seven-acre lake. Uh, I know a lot of folks have not come out because we got a million people in the metro and I would challenge everyone to come out one time and then the garden will be fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, when you're driving there, you come up to Tisdale and uh, just driving into the Osage Hills in the morning is a beautiful setting. Uh, and we think it's it's a really good place to uh, come visit, spend time, bring your family, wander around, and and just kind of touch on nature a little bit. And of course, I know a lot of people have even through the pandemic they were walking the lake. It was sort of like it was your place where you could get away, but you could be still somewhat around people, but also have the distancing during the pandemic, and yeah. and it became a very popular just walking yeah. destination. The second garden is the Lotus Gardens, yes. which has was on the master plan. But it's also, it makes sense that this was one of the next things because it's pretty infrastructure heavy. Yes. Yeah, it was, it, it was probably our most challenging garden we've built to date just because anytime you deal with uh, large pumps and moving water and, you know, making sure that it is done correctly, it is, uh, it's going to be, I think people will enjoy it. There's a bridge that goes over what's called the upper pool. Then there's a feature that's called the riffle where the water babbles through that. I call it our Stonehenge because it <laughs> looks like, you know, these, these big boulders stand up and it kind of reminds me of that. Then it goes into the larger pool where we have lily and lotus um, circles where the, they will have uh, actually things that will bloom in the evening and will be lit. So there's three overlooks, and then there's three what they call garden areas that jut out into the lotus pool. So there'll be uh, lush vegetation, uh, water plants, nice overlooks where people can come, and, and, and probably the centerpiece will be um, where the overlooks jut out. There's fountains that come up, 10 fountains over each of the three overlooks that'll be lit at night, but also shoot a stream of water to help move the water. But I think it'll be a great feature just for people to come there, you know, get some pictures or just um, appreciate. Because everybody, I think we have water features in most of our gardens, I think would agree that the sound of moving water is a, is a pretty calming experience. So, Yeah, indeed. Uh, my guest today is Chuck Lampson. He's the CEO of the Tulsa Botanic Garden. As the Botanic Garden will open two new gardens, apparently this week or maybe a little later <laughs> because of power issues. But uh, the Stanford Family Liberty Garden and the Bumgarner uh, Family Foundation Lotus Pool will be opening to the public. And these have been projects that have been long in the making, uh, well pre-pandemic uh, yes. as far as planning. And, of course, the pandemic put a stop to everything for quite a while. And they're the next uh, part of the overall master plan to develop the Tulsa Botanic Garden, which is a quite an ambitious plan uh, because the overall master plan doesn't also includes not only the areas around the lake, but you have, you know, your natural walking tour in the, uh, the Osage. Right. And there's also ideas about going up the hill behind the Botanic Garden with Oriental Gardens and things like this. Right. This will be like 
decades in the making, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe long after I'm going here, but but no, it is. And I think it uh, the master plan was designed by a gentleman, Trey Fromey, who uh, specializes in working with botanic gardens. He's on, uh, he's in a residency at the Atlantic Botanic Garden and has been involved. And, and just, he is a visionary uh, in terms of developing botanic gardens and the plants that go in them. So we've been fortunate to work with him. He, he helped us to develop the master plan. It was 10 years old last year. So we, uh, including the founder, uh, folks with Jones Plan who have been involved with building it, our landscape architect, we had a committee last year that we just re-looked at the master plan being that 10 years old and say, okay, these are the things on the plan. What are our priorities? You know, what do we want to do once we do these two gardens? What do we want to do next? You know, how how do we, you know, go about it? And obviously there's things like completing the trail all the way around the lake because people do like to walk it, you know, and maybe there's some other, you know, other garden opportunities around there. We have 170 acres. Uh, 100 acres are really to the west of the 65 or 70 that will be developed around the seven-acre lake. So, you know, the opportunities to do future things are are obviously there. But like anything, it's got to be a good balance because while we hope to continue to grow our attendance with guests and, and private events and all that, you also have to have the infrastructure to accommodate those people. You know, one of the areas we have a little shortfall in is our parking, on-site parking, which, you know, let's face it, people like to be parked close, you know, (laughs) (laughs) unless it's Oktoberfest and then they don't mind getting shuttled. But, you know, so those are the type of things that as we can grow with our attractions, we also have to grow the infrastructure to take care of the guests. And that's definitely the unsexy part of things. Oh, yeah, really. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people just are champing at the bit to call in and say, I want to sponsor an asphalt parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, but they, they also realize, you know, how it is important, you know, because the guest experience, you know, when you come to the place, can you park fairly close? Can you walk in, buy a ticket, you know, be greeted? You know, we, we started a food service program and a bar service program so we can service our private events, but just to the public because we have our, you know, liquor by the drink license. So we try to get creative. You know, we'll do mimosas on weekend mornings or we'll do, we do workshops where one of our horticultural people, he's a curator of the floral terraces. He's a, he likes to be a a mixologist, but he's also a classically trained horticulturalist. (laughs) So he takes ingredients from the garden to infuse to make cocktails in his workshops sell out because people love the idea of taking local ingredients and being able to make, and it's not just cocktails, but it's mocktails too. So yeah, yeah, there's just, um, there's a lot of opportunity there because we have some land and it's just a matter of, um, you know, finding the right mix of things that people want to support. And, uh, you know, so we constantly are, bring in potential guests and donors to the garden to give them a little golf cart tour to show them what we've done and what the future may hold and and the potential, which is great. Let me talk a little bit about the two gardens. As you walk around these gardens, and and we have to remember they're young gardens. Yes. Uh, And, you know, they will be open now, but they won't be mature for two, three years. years. (laughs) Maybe, maybe 
five years, you yeah. know, before they're really mature. What excites you about each of the gardens, the places that you would take that visitor and say, here, look at this yeah. here in well, each garden? I think uh, one of the things, uh, and there's for both places, just the fact, the newness, some something new to look at as an mm-hmm. attraction, because people have come out, they walk through the children's garden, they walk through the terraces, you know, they go maybe around the trail, and we have a great lawn that, you know, we do a lot of public events like live music on Thursday nights in the spring and fall and things of that nature. But just the newness, like we have what's called the Sunrise Bridge where they walk over uh, and the upper pool was right below them and it's lined with stones. The water is crystal clear. So, you know, uh, we're going to, I think we're going to have to uh, watch for people wanting to jump in and cool off in the (laughs) hot weather, but that's okay. I'm just worried about my staff when it gets hot. (laughs) And then, uh, and then the nice thing even though we couldn't do the all seasons, you have this nice sidewalk that curves, follows the curve, and these vast lawn areas, which will be perfect to set up a tent for a, you know, a private company outing. Or, or just a picnic. Just a picnic, yeah. Just come bring your picnic basket, sit out on the lawn, and enjoy, you know, enjoy being close to nature. The water moving, you'll hear that. We, uh, we, we took a lot of care because there are some large pumps in the lotus pool to muffle that sound as much as possible so it doesn't detract from the experience. And uh, we have a building over the pumps, plus we're going to have some plants that hopefully keep that low. And then as you walk around, you'll see the areas that jut out so you can overlook the water, then other planting areas. Then you come around and you come right to the gates of the Stanford Family Liberty Garden, which are 14, 15-foot pieces of Hackett stone, which is mined right in Arkansas, and we have a lot of Hackett stone in the garden, beautiful orange, red, brown stones that are, you know, flanked with these big wrought iron gates with the Art Deco design, so you can go in, there's a big lawn, and there's beds, and you got pavilions, and then the steps down to the water, so I think people like the setting, Uh, and as part of that, not only the natural garden and our and our people understand taking care of that, making it look good, but new opportunities for a company who's looking for a different place to host an event, yeah. and uh, or an individual young woman and man to get married, you know those type of things, and and uh, that's important to us because uh, the more we can enhance our revenue opportunities as a not for profit, the more we can stand on our own. You know, we are we have great support of donors, but um, ultimately our goal is to be able to stand on our own two feet if we can. Yeah, and of course, in the in the mid 2010s, you had this tremendous growth, right. and of course, pandemic sort of stopped that growth. Do you anticipate that you're going to see more growth with more gardens sooner? Over the next couple of years, we hope so. We're we're working, uh, not ready to announce anything yet, but we're working on our kind of our next project and hope to be able to announce that this fall, uh, which we think will be very exciting uh, for the garden. And you know, there's other things in the hopper that we hope will come about. Just like I said, when we looked at our master plan and said, okay, uh, because as you build, like I said, as you build things you need to have the infrastructure to support it if we grow, but also you have to support your horticulturalists, you know, a new greenhouse to make sure we have 
more cost-effective way to grow our own plants. And with more gardens, yeah, you have more, to have more gardeners. More, more pl- and more plants, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, there, that, that thing called overhead is always there. But, you know, uh, being able to grow our own from seed or from small sprigs is much more cost-effective than having to go out and buy mature plants, although we do that to, you know, replace certain things. But so just looking towards that to be able to manage the growth in a, you know, fiscally prudent way. So Earlier you were talking about the, the, the grounds and how so much of the actual grounds of the botanic uh, garden are undeveloped at this particular point. Right. One of the uh, key attractions is the Osage uh, Walk up on top of the hill right. where you're just going out into the... And I think that's one of the attractions of this site for designers who, you know, came up with this master plan is you're not building a site out of the city. You have this natural locale that right. has its own ecosystem exactly. that the garden can play off of. I assume that keeping part of the natural state as natural where people can venture into it is also a big part of the future too. It, it definitely is because you have that balance that you want to, you know, part of our mission is education. So being able to educate the next generation about the importance of pollinators, you know, bees and hummingbirds and butterflies, you know, uh, I have a feeling if they weren't around, we wouldn't be around too too long. You think about the crop reduction size because of the bees. So explaining that and, and, and the importance. And so like the trail you mentioned is great. We just walked it a few weeks ago to look at opportunities, uh, not only for making sure the trail is good, but also education. Uh, and it never ceases to amaze me how smart our people are. There was some plants in there that our one horticulturist um, was pointing out. He said, yeah, this is the, this is the plant that uh, Sacagawea fed to Lewis and Clark to help sustain them on their trip huh. when they were going to the West. I mean, it's like, really? You know, all those kind of things that are really points of interest to be able to do. So the trail is kind of where the tall grass prairie meets our, what we call our persimmon grove. Or cross timbers. Yeah, yeah. cross timbers. And and so, and we're doing some things to, you know, we're got in mind things to kind of dress it up, make it a little bit more inviting right near that entrance. Sometimes when the gates close, people aren't sure if they are welcome to go out there. So we're, we're going to be doing some stuff because we do want people to go out there in the nature, those that like to hike, obviously... Turkey Mountain has done a lot recently, and that's great. And that's, I mean, those kind of things are good. And I think our trail is like a mile and a half. There's natural points where there's some large boulders where people can stop and rest and and enjoy. And those are the things where we can put in a sign to, you know, do a little bit of education they can read about and enjoy with their family or just as a hike. And then also some benches around that uh, allow them to... um, you know, those that can. Now, most all the other gardens are handicapped accessible. We are not totally handicapped accessible on the trail, on the nature trail, although we are working on a rope system that can help, you know, with some people with limited mobility. But those are kind of things that we want to try to, you know, it don't take a lot of resources, but really can have a, a big bang for our buck in helping to balance that you know, there is natural areas as well as manicured areas. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. My guest today is uh, Chuck Lampson. He's the CEO of the Tulsa Botanic Garden. As of Tulsa Botanic Garden, we'll soon open two new gardens, the Stanford Family Liberty Garden and the Bumgarner Family Foundation Lotus Pool. Uh, the next uh, pieces on the overall puzzle of creating a beautiful Tulsa Botanic Garden, which it already is, but it will uh, more complete Tulsa Botanic Garden. And uh, it was scheduled to open this weekend, but without power. It'll be a soft opening of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we, we will uh, make sure we let everyone know, um, because obviously, as I said earlier, uh, it's not just us operating in a vacuum. There's many businesses that are going to support this opening in terms of food and tent and uh, things of that nature that they've been impacted by this power outage too. So we're, we're going to be working with them to make sure that we can do a, a good job and celebrate when we're open in the garden. A gardens. formal dedication. A to, formal dedication. To come. That's correct. <laughs> At, to come, yes. TBD. <laughs> Hopefully soon. <laughs> well, I want to ask you one last question, Chuck. You've, you've been involved with you know, Tulsa Drillers for so many years and uh, visitor experiences. But, but as the CEO of the Botanic Garden, as an as a owner or general manager of a baseball club, you take on projects that you start and you're going to finish. But in this job, you're only going to be finishing small pieces of the puzzle, <laughs> you know, because this 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 garden will be decades in the making. Yeah. So how are you able to, you know, how do you view that as executing a portion of the vision, not the vision itself? Well, I think it's I think it's there's a consistency to it. Uh, you know, my role with the drillers um, when I stepped off the playing field, I started as groundskeeper. I found that. You know, having played baseball all my life, I loved it, but I really was ready to learn the business side of the operation. So I was able to move up. I was assistant GM for 12 years. Then I became general manager, then, you know, president and majority owner. Uh, I had a great mentor, Went Hubbard, but I realized as nice as the ballpark was at Driller Stadium at 15th and Yale, and we had a lot of really great fans there. I knew long-term for the success of the franchise, we would need a new ballpark at some point in time. And at that time, there was a lot of movement towards building downtown. So that was the, when I was able to, you know, with Kathy Taylor, the dean of the Collins College of School of Business now, and, and a lot of local business people who contributed that, to me, said, okay, this can be a ballpark that'll be here for 50 years long after I'm gone, but it, it solidifies the future of professional baseball in Tulsa. In the same way with the garden, I look at it and say, you know, my role here, even if I'm here another five or ten years or how many ever years they'll have me, <laughs> um, is to kind of set a roadmap and say, let's do the right things the right way and let's accomplish what we can um, in the time that I'm here. And hopefully, uh, one thing that went did teach me is always prepare the person to succeed you, you mm -hmm. know, which Mike, Mike Malego, we hired Mike as an intern back in the nineties and now he's president of the team. So, um, so that'll be something I work on with the garden, but, you know, kind of put it in a better place than where you found it. And that's, you know, that's all you can do. So, well, certainly and hopefully I come back in 20, I'll be around 20 or 30 years and say, yeah, I had a good impact on the garden and the drillers and, you know, yeah. so we'll see. Well, 
two big important additions happen <laughs> as soon as power is restored at the right. Botanic Garden. Exactly. And we'll be looking forward to it. Chuck, yeah. thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Rich. Enjoyed it. Chuck Lampson is the president and CEO of the Tulsa Botanic Garden. Since we spoke yesterday afternoon, uh, two major changes. One is that the new grand opening date for the two new gardens have been set. That opening weekend will be July 21st through the 23rd. And unlike our conversation, there probably will not be a soft opening ahead of time. Although power has been restored to the Botanic Garden, so the Botanic Garden is open today. You can learn more at TulsaBotanic.org. Well, that's Studio Tulsa for today. Our program is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. The views of our guests and commentators are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of KWGS or its licensee, the University of Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. Thanks for listening.